If you ever wonder how, how do pastors decide what they're going to preach on, and it varies. This time, my wife sent me a message a while back, and she said, oh, you've got to hear this. And I listened to it, and, and she said, I can totally see you t- preaching on that and giving some dip- only examples. And I said, you know what? It does. I agree. I feel that same message. So we're going to go to the same verse that, uh, that sh- was shared in the, the message she sent. And I am very excited, and it's always interesting. If I, even if I start out thinking, oh, I'm going to preach something someone else preached, then it ends up changing. Because God has a different thing to say um, to tonight, a different anointing. Uh, to go through. So I want to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2. Jehoshaphat was the king of Israel, and it says, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in En Gedi. To most of us, that doesn't mean much. Vast army, blah, blah, place, location, blah, blah, blah. What that means is you are in deep trouble. They snuck up behind you. They're almost here already. How many of you have ever been blindsided by a problem? Like sometimes you see it coming. You plan for it. You know, you, you've already bought the book, read it, you, you studied the YouTube videos, you did all that. I remember the first time I changed my brakes. I pulled up a tutorial, I printed the tutorial out, I did it, I was ready. I had prepared. I could finish that story by telling you what happened to the brakes a couple months later when something went wrong. But... I thought I was ready. But I was thinking about examples of times when I wasn't ready. And and I thought of of a good one. So, uh, I had gotten what, to me at the time, was kind of a dream job. I had been pursuing this job for quite some time. I finally got it. And... Uh, the pay was good, the activities were, were interesting, and, and all of this stuff. The interesting aspect about this particular job was I was working for a younger fella who had never worked with anybody before. He had always been on his own. He was extremely intelligent, very particular, you might say a little bit quirky. And my job, um, as many jobs do, had like a 60-day review. And I had been, as far as I knew, I had been knocking it out of the park. I mean, everything they asked me to do, I had been doing it. I was so pumped. So I'm going into this 60-day review, and I'm like, I got this. And I sit down, and this guy sits down, and he starts with the first day I got there. And says, on the very first day you were here, we went in and we sat down with this meeting with these people and these three people were there and he's got his little notes and he says, and you said this and that was embarrassing and you shouldn't have said it. And then he says, and this and this, and he starts going through this laundry list of things that I had gotten wrong for 60 days. And like he had all of his reasons 
And it was like, you did this wrong, and you did this wrong. And by the way, I wanted you to do this, and you did that. And you did this, and you didn't do that the way that I expected you to do it. And I asked you to do this, and this happened. And you said this in front of so-and-so, and that was, you know, not what we wanted. He just goes through this list, and he says, and so we're ready to let you go. I was not expecting that. And I remember just being like, you know what? God, you gave me this job. And I said to him, I said, you know, I really, really appreciate all of this feedback. You know, that meeting that happened on the first day that I was here, if I had known that I had stepped over a boundary or had done something that you didn't want, I would have adjusted what I did for the next 59 days. And, and I started talking to him about, you know, just thank you, and that was good, and that was good. And, and I said, you know, it's up to you. But I would love the opportunity to take what you shared with me and go forward. And he says to me, he says, I'm trying to see if I can remember to quote him exactly. He goes, I am envious of your confidence. He said, I just fired you and you are smiling. Or wait, he didn't say I just fired you. I tried to fire you and you're smiling. He says, you know, you valid points, all of this makes sense. I didn't get fired that day, and I got to continue, and I got to continue at the place, and, and the next review went a whole lot better than that one. Um, but my point is, how do we respond when we get the surprise? When we get the surprise, when suddenly what we didn't prepare for is right on top of us. Verse 3. Alarmed. How many of you have ever been alarmed? Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. See, his first response was... I have to take this to God. I have to take this to God. Now, we'd like to say that we always respond that way. No. Jehoshaphat didn't even always respond that way. Two chapters earlier, King Ahab came to Jehoshaphat. How many of you recognize the name Ahab? Do you remember who, how many remember who his wife was? Jezebel. Like the personification of, of the evil queen in the Old Testament. She's like the worst. And if you remember the stories of Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal and all of the, the stuff and Elijah calling down the fire from heaven and then declaring that there would be no rain and all of that took place under Ahab. Ahab was the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah both of which had previously been Israel, but they were two separate nations at that time. So Jehoshaphat gets a message from King Ahab, and King Ahab says, come and fight with me. 
the scriptures say that they had, they had made a truce by marriage. And so a fight that really didn't belong to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat then goes. And he says, but I need to ask of the Lord. And Ahab says, hey, I've got 400 prophets. Let's ask them. Now, who are they asking? Baal, the devil. And all 400 of them said, oh, if you go, you're going to win. If you go, you're going to win. And he says, hey, is there anybody around here that we can ask that's going to ask God? And they said, well, there's one guy. This is what, this is what Ahab said. He said, yeah, there's one guy over there, Mekai, the prophet of God. He, but he never says anything nice about me, so I don't even ask. They go. They ask. And after they really insist, the prophet tells King King Joseph, he says, look, all those 400 prophets are leading Ahab into a trap. If you go, it's going to be bad. Jehoshaphat does it anyway. Ahab dies. Jehoshaphat loses. Two chapters later, he gets a surprise. This time, he decides to do it right. He inquires of the Lord. Now, we're going to look back at his situation with with Jehoshaphat. How many of you realize not every fight is yours? Just say that with me. Not every fight is mine. Proverbs 26, 17 says, Like one who grabs a dog by the ears is someone who gets into a quarrel that is not their own. How many of you ever visited a thing called Facebook? Have you ever noticed that there are fights all over the place just just inviting you to join? I mean, they need your opinion on that really bad. And so what do we do? We jump in there, we pour out, we write these, these things that are so thought through. I mean, it's only one paragraph, but it took you 90 minutes to write that thing because you just had to get everything right. And then you hit send and whew, it disappears into the thousands of other comments that are back there. And you're expending your energy on a fight that isn't yours. Save yourself for your own responsibilities. One way to tell if you're fighting a battle that isn't yours is if you're trying to control somebody else. If the fight you have is, I'm going to get them to do what I want, react how I want, behave as I wish, care about what I care about. You can't fight them. Your responsibility is yours. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's interesting. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. And you might recognize that scripture because Philippians 4, 13 is it's a pretty popular verse. But before that, Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. 
I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both abundance and suffering. Then comes the famous verse we know. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, he knew when something comes up, he was going to trust in God. Whether that was going to result in a victory or a delay, he knew that God had his back. Paul was saved from some situations. Some situations he saved everybody there. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about the time that Paul was shipwrecked. But God, the Bible says, gave him the lives of everyone on that ship with him, protected him, brought him through. He did not fear what would happen because he knew. He knew that God is on my back. He was... As, as we saw with, with uh, Josephat, he was alarmed, but he wasn't overwhelmed. In verse 4, he calls all the people together. They begin to seek the Lord. And then in verse 5, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the temple of the Lord, in front of the new courtyard, and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors... Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land? <clears throat> what is Jehoshaphat doing? I used to look at this and, and you read through the scripture and, and they're always saying, the Lord God of our ancestors, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I was like, how wordy is that? Why not just say God? Why did they constantly bring up the ancestors and the other people in Scripture? Because everyone knew the stories. It's the same reason that Nike wants you to think of Michael Jordan when you think of his shoes. Because we know what he accomplished. And if he accomplished them in these shoes, maybe I need a pair. You see, when he was bringing up the ancestors and, and those who had succeeded before, he's saying, God, the God who has done so much before, didn't you drive out the inhabitants? Aren't we living in a place that used to be inhabited by dangerous, scary people, giants, in fact? Wait a minute. God, the God I'm talking to is the same God who drove giants from this land. Before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. As you listen to this declaration, you realize he is praising God. He's glorifying God. He is exalting. He is reminding the people there of what God has done. When we get surprised by a challenge, what is it that we should be doing? Remembering 
declaring God. This may have surprised me, but it didn't surprise you. God, you have handled these situations before. He says, they have lived in it and have built a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague of, or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. See, Jehoshaphat's expectation was based on his remembrance, his focus on what God had done. He's saying, this isn't the first time. You promised this, so I know. So then, in verse 10, the tone seems to switch a little. He says, but now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade. Does it sound like he's like blaming God? He's like, so now here come these three peoples that you told our ancestors not to invade. You didn't let them go there and wipe them out before. So he's setting that up. He said, if you didn't let them destroy them then, he says... So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God will not judge them, for we have no power to face this vast enemy that is attacking us. He looks at his own situation and he says, I don't have what it takes. How many of you have ever been in a situation, you weren't expecting it, you weren't planning for it, but to be honest, when you take inventory, you don't have what it takes. It's like, nope. Like, by myself, no. I don't. See, what do we do in that situation? When we get shocked by the, the surprise, when the battle is coming, we didn't pick the battle. See, Jehoshaphat, he went and sought out that fight with Ahab. But this fight, he didn't, he didn't seek it out. It was seeking him out. He didn't ask for it. He wasn't ready for it. And in, in honesty... He says, I'm not capable of it. But, he, he says, we do not, we have no power to face this. We do not know what to do. The next word, we do not know what to do, comma, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. I, I shared that story about an employer, and it reminded me of a, of a situation many years before. One of my first jobs in college was, was working in a warehouse in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
and I, my immediate supervisor's name was Mark. And everything Mark asked me to do, I did it. And one day, his supervisor, the, the office manager of the entire place, called me into my office, or his office. And he says, Josh, he says, Mark has complained about your, your performance. I said, okay, you know, I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And he said, so I asked him, what, you know, is he doing everything you asked? Absolutely, he's doing it all. And I, I was just sitting there, you know, this is one of my first times getting really reamed out by a big boss, and I'm all like, oh no, what did I do, what did I do? And I'm just waiting to hear. And I'm grateful for his wisdom, because he said, after asking him a bunch of questions, he says, I've figured out what the problem is. He said, you are not afraid of Mark, and Mark is afraid of me. He said, Mark has always been afraid of his employers. They can terminate him at any time, and he needs that job. And Mark expected you to be afraid of him. And he says, and you do everything he asks, but he senses that there is no fear. And he says, what would you do if you lost this job? And this was, they were, they, it was a Christian uh, workplace there. Both of those guys were Christians. And so I just turned to him. I said, you know, God gave me this job. I prayed for it, I needed these hours, I needed this much money, and God lined it up exactly for my needs. And if, you know, I'm going to do my best, but if I lost this job, I'm going to ask God, he's going to find me another one. And my supervisor looks at me and he smiles and he says, that's why Mark is confused. He said he just expected, now that he had a supervisory role, to be to have that fear coming from you and it confused him when you didn't have it. And again, I was so grateful. I was like 19 years old, something like that, working there. I would not have guessed that in a million years. But that supervisor had the wisdom to figure that out. And he said that, and I realized so many times, see, my eyes were on God. The situation, even if it was bigger than what I could handle, my eyes were on Him. I, I knew where my true provision came from. And so, even if things were shaky in the place that appeared to be my provision, I didn't lose heart. Verse 13, all the men of Judah and their wives and their children and their little ones stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jalel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and the descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. Why did they put all those names in there again? Because each one of those generations represents another generation where God was already faithful. You see, over and over in Scripture, we see that. That the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so-and-so, the son of all of these people to whom God has been faithful, 
You know, if you were talking about a coach and you said such and such a coach, who already led these people to the championship? You're like, all right, I get it. I get why you're name dropping there. Because you want me to recognize the pattern of success. See, God wants us to recognize his pattern of success. If we have our eyes on the situation instead of on him, we won't see that pattern. How many of you remember the story of Peter when he saw Jesus afar and all the other disciples were freaked out? They thought it was a ghost walking on the water. And Peter, he forces a miracle. Because he says, hey, if it's you, call to me to walk out to you. What she is going to say, it's not me. Like, it's not that Jesus really was like, oh, hey, Peter, it's me. Come on over. Peter says, if it's you, then tell me to come. That took guts. Jesus answers. It is I. Come. Peter steps out of the water. He's walking on water, guys. I've only done it at 40 miles an hour holding onto a rope behind a boat. Barefoot skiing. That's, that's it. He's just walking on water. And then it's so interesting what the verse says. It says, Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. When and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. His focus at first was on Jesus. He gets out of the boat, he's walking on water. And then it says he saw the strength of the storm. His focus went from God to the situation, and that is when he began to sink. That was his focus. Ephesians chapter 6, 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, darkness of this world we need to recognize the nature of our battle if we think our situation is physical we will fight the wrong enemy when we are focused on the wrong enemy we can't win your battle is not against your boss your battle is not against your spouse. You wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That is who my enemy is. Sometimes it takes more faith not to fight. 
It's interesting. Verse 20, I'm going to jump, or 17, I'm going to jump ahead. It says, you will not, the, the prophet is talking to Jehoshaphat. He says, you will not have to fight this battle. What's interesting is it doesn't say you will not. It says you will not have to. How many of you know he could have fought it? I think if he would have fought it, he wouldn't have won. He didn't have to fight it. The battle wasn't against those three enemies. It wasn't his fight. Sometimes God's answer is, this is not your fight. How many of you realize it can be harder to not fight than to fight? I have six kids. Sometimes we have fights. Little smackums, you know. You know what? It's not hard to get them to hit each other again. That's not hard. If, you know, kid one elbows kid two, kid two is very eager to smack him back, to one up. You know what's hard to get them to do? To stop. To stop fighting. Don't retaliate. Let me take over. I, I just watched him smack you. Don't smack him back. Let me take over. You know, you know what happens? I don't get to take over for them as long as they're smacking each other. That's us. We're fighting in there. God. And he's like, it's not your, cut it out, stop. Let me get in there. The more you're, you're just meddling it up. Quit trying to do it on your own. Your fight isn't against him. I've got it. I will fight this battle for you. I will right the wrong that this all started with. But I need you to stop trying to fight it on your own. How many of you saw the movie, um, I think it was called Robinson? It was about Jackie Robinson. Maybe it was his number, 42, or something like that. There's a movie. He was one of the first African-American uh, pro, I believe it was baseball. And when they were recruiting him, there's a scene in the movie where the coach says, but what are you going to do? When you get off the bus and you're walking into some city in the south and they start shouting racial slurs at you and doing all of this. And he responds and says, what, do you want me to just take it, to just be a, be a wimp and just take it? He says, no, I want you to be strong enough not to fight. Sometimes it takes more strength to trust that I don't have to take this on my own. I don't benefit by starting to swing. God, you've got it. 
My focus isn't on what surprises are coming around the corner. My focus isn't on the fight. This isn't my fight. I am yours. It's your fight. It can be harder. It can be more challenging. It takes more faith sometimes to say the battle is yours. And we're so often stressing, trying to get that, the fight on our own. Verse 15, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged because this vast army, for the Lord, for, excuse me, for the battle is not yours but God. Say it with me. The battle is not mine. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will climb up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge of the desert of Jeru and you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kahathanites and the Korolites stood up to, and praised the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, people of Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Something interesting, in my memory of the story from when I was a little kid, my memory of the story was God said to Jehoshaphat, put the, the singers in the front, and because he obeyed, they won. How many of you remember it that way? Did anybody notice that the prophet didn't say anything about singers? He didn't say anything about it at all. He just said, you won't have to fight. Trust in God. Right? He said, you're not going to fight. Trust in God. Go down there and see the deliverance of the Lord. So let's see, how did the singing thing happen? It says, after, in verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated and the Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir and destroying them, annihilated them. After they finished slaughtering the men of Seir, they helped destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went and carried off the plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. That's a win. By the way, that's a win. But here's what I want to point out. It wasn't about the singing. God didn't even tell them they had to sing. It was about their focus. He said, our eyes are on you. The singing was just a demonstration of their focus 
having shifted. We're not going down there to fight on our own. We're not putting our main guys out there. We are trusting in God that he will do that which he said he would do. We are trusting in God that the fight is his, where our eyes are on him, not on our own ability. See, the singers weren't magic. It was the focus. Had they gone down there in some other way, demonstrated that their focus was on God, they still would have won the battle. I always thought it was all about the song, the singers, but it's not. It's about their focus on Him. They said, we, don't, we can't on our own. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And God said, it's my fight, not yours. I got this. They said, okay. I trust you. And they walked in there and God fought the battle better than they ever could have. Some of you today are facing battles. And what God wants to say to you is, it's not your fight. Quit trying to do it on your own. Put your elbows down. Lift your eyes up. Put them back on me. And trust that I can do all things through you, through Christ. Let's close. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you love us, that you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of our lives. Lord, I just thank you that the fight is yours. It's not mine. I just pray your blessing on every single person here. I just pray that you would remind them of what God has done in their lives and the lives of so many others because you have no favorites and if you did it for them, you will do it for us. In Jesus' name, we just thank you for your provision. Amen.